I want to welcome everyone here tonight for our Wednesday evening summer series. And I am uh, extremely excited about our speaker this evening, and I'll say a few more words about him uh, just before he, he speaks. But he is a very special man and, and a special, special friend. First thing I'd like to do is have everybody stand and come this way. <laughs> And you can also be turning to number 609. Oh, they they mind me. (laughs) All right, you can be seated, and we're going to begin by singing number 609. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. We'll sing verses 1 and 3. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord, nor to defend His cause. Maintain the others on word, the glory of His cross. Then will He own my witness name before His Father's face. And in the new Jerusalem, as sinners enough to send your only son to die in our place for our sins. A love, Father, that we can hardly fathom, especially those of us who are parents who have children of our own. Thinking that you could look down at humanity, that those wicked, uh, sinful people, and give us such a gift and such a blessing that we could dwell eternally with with you. Father, we're grateful for our summer series, and we just pray that, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to realize our calling and to, uh, to not be ashamed to own our Lord, but to speak your name and to share your name and to live your name, to not hide our Christianity under a bushel, but to let it shine, to be that light on the hill, Father, right here in our city of Tyler, to make an impact upon a lost and dying world with the saving grace of Christ. We're grateful, Father, for for Mitch coming this evening and so grateful for his willingness to, to drive from Tulsa today to come here to be with us 
to share with us a message uh, from your word, the story of Joseph of Arimathea and what a risk taker he was. And we're grateful, Father, for men like him and help us to be the same. We ask, Father, you would bless this congregation in our works and our efforts that they might be pleasing to you. We ask your blessings upon everything that we do. Keep us humble that we might do your work efficiently, but to God be the glory, great things he's done. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. All right, so we have coming to us tonight from Tulsa, Oklahoma, from Park Church, uh, once known as Park Plaza Church of Christ. And Mitch and his wife, Shannon, moved to Tulsa in 1990. Sonia and I moved to Tulsa in 1984, began our work with the 10th and Rockford congregation there, and spent 19 years. Well, Mitch has beat us. He's been there since 1990. Started out as youth minister, had a tremendous, tremendous work there. And now is the pulpit preacher for Park Congregation. I'm not sure what year you started as the pulpit minister over at Park Plaza, but he's been with him a long time, and I'm going to tell you, he is a loved brother uh, by his church, by his community, by his city. As far as the church is concerned, he, he's one of our ministers that's, I would say he's in demand. He is asked to be part of many, many speaking engagements, and so I feel we're extremely fortunate to have Mitch Wilburn with us tonight. He and his wife Shannon have two children, a son who lives in Edmond, Oklahoma, and he and his wife bless them with their first grandchild. He also has a daughter who is married, and she and her husband have moved to the Boston, Massachusetts area and do a good work uh, with the church there. I might mention that our oldest son, Bryce, his wife, Kelsey, and our two grandchildren, Griffin and Vivian, attend Park Congregation, and Kelsey spent 10, maybe a few more years than that, working with the youth there. And Sonia and I are tremendously blessed uh, with her as our daughter-in-law, with Jessica as our daughter-in-law, with Jake as our son-in-law. We have three fine, fine Christians who have married our children. And you can't ask for anything more than that. So with that being said, I'm going to turn it over to Mitch. And I know you'll be encouraged and you will be mighty thankful that you chose to be here tonight. It is so good to be with you. I am a native Texan, grew up in Dallas and in Quitman, Texas. Uh, Drove through my former hometown on the way down here. Uh, Met some family for an early dinner and uh, what a blessing it is to be here. I tell the folks in Oklahoma that I am a missionary there on the wrong side of the Red River for the past 32 years. Uh, they don't think that's that funny, but they put up with me. And as I pass through Quitman, uh, I, I will always have a memory. Uh, both my parents have passed, and as my dad was not doing well in his fight with cancer, uh, Quitman has a little bitty hospital there, nice hospital, but small. And um, I drove down from Tulsa, and as I was walking through the lobby, I looked over and I saw Davy. He'd never met my dad before, but he was there praying for my father. And uh, that, boy, you you talk about teaching a minister about ministry. And I'll never forget that. Very, very powerful. Y'all are blessed to have Davey, and it is so good to be here. I'm already blown away by this congregation. He asked y'all to move forward a minute ago, and y'all did. Uh, My church, we ask people to move forward, and they just sit there and look at you. And so uh, thrilled, thrilled to be here with you. Um, Tyler was always in Quitman, the big town that we drove into. Uh, you know, if you need anything, Quitman didn't have Walmart. That was in Mineola, though. But just kept on coming. You needed a Sam's movie theater, things like that. And so love your city so very much. I also love your theme, uh, risk takers, uh, putting your faith on the line for Jesus Christ and looking at different characters in the Bible that do that exact thing. 
So there are times when Scripture slows down and in a very short amount of space unleashes a vast amount of information. And when I think about slowing down, I think about, you might have seen this on YouTube about three or four years back, a little three-year-old Linux Sausalito in Walnut, California, playing Pony League baseball, had made it all the way to third base, and his third base coach, his father, told him, now when you go home, you run good. And this is what Linux did with run good. Let's watch this clip together. Here comes dad. Pick it up, son. I I love this. Three-year-old. Get off me, dad. (laughs) You didn't tell me to run fast. You told me to run good. (laughs) True to form. Someone's gone to the restroom and made their way back by now. And slide. (laughs) We're going to try to move a little bit faster than that tonight. You hear preachers joke about, you know, I I broke my watch today. I I literally broke my watch today. But I I see the big one in the back, the the clock back there. But to the point of, of slowing down, once again, there are times where Scripture slows down and begins to give a vast amount of detail. And we want to look tonight at a gentleman who ceases to be an ordinary Joe. There are very few individuals, of course Jesus, of course the Twelve, that appear in all four Gospels. They appear in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, There are very few outside of Jesus and those Twelve that do that. Uh, John the Baptist would be one. Mary would be one. And the individual that we're speaking of tonight, Joseph of Arimathea, he would be one. It's interesting Uh, Mark is a good example of what happens. He doesn't appear in the gospel record. Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, they have no use for him until the very end. But then something happens where the story of Jesus Christ and the gospel cannot continue without including this one who ceases to be an ordinary Joe, our Joseph, of Arimathea. And so let's take a look at Mark chapter 15, verse 42. Mind you, Mark only has 16 chapters. So when I say that he shows up at the end, he shows up at the end. Mark 15 and 42. The English Standard Version says this in this rendition. And when evening had come, since it was a day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, respected member of the Sanhedrin, the great council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, well, he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse of our Lord to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in that linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. First thing I want to do this evening is take a look at Joseph's biographical sketch. In that short amount of scripture, take a look at what it lets us know about this individual. Number one, we we know his name. We know where he's from. Arimathea really doesn't help us a whole lot. Scholars don't know much about that town. It was a, uh, not just a pretty small village. It was a really small village. But we do know that Joseph of Arimathea, he is number one, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. He is not just a member of any Sanhedrin. Any town of size at that time had a council of 70. He is a member of the great Sanhedrin. He is, if you will, uh, the Congress and Supreme Court, if you will, of Israel all rolled into one. He is a part of that leadership. He's not only a member of the Sanhedrin number two, he's a powerful man. 
It said that he was a respected member of the Sanhedrin. And we know how that goes with people. There are some that just kind of get in, and there are others who are therein. They're foundational. They're respected. Another thing that I note about the power that Joseph of Arimathea yielded, it would not have been common for a Roman citizen to say, hey, uh, I think I'll go see Pilate next week. I'll, I'll get him on the books. It would have even been more rare for a Roman citizen. There would have had to have been an immense amount of power and respect in that individual to say, I'm not going to see Pilate next week. I'm seeing him today. And I came up with the idea to see him today. I'm not on the schedule, and I'm not going to try to see him. I am going to see him. Joseph of Arimathea is no Roman. He is a member of the Jewish nation, and when he decides that he's going to see Pilate, he's not going to try to see Pilate. He sees Pilate. And so this is a powerful man. Luke 23 and 50 says, number three, he is also a good and righteous man who did not consent to the way things were going with Jesus in the trial. Number four, Matthew 27 and 57 says he was a rich man. In the original language, in the Greek, it doesn't say he's kind of rich. He is uh, rich at a level where he is to be noticed. He is in the 1% of the 1% of the Jewish community. And we also know that he's a disciple of Jesus Christ. But John chimes in and tells us what's important for our lesson tonight in John 19 and 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. The thing tonight you need to know is that Joseph of Arimathea was a secret disciple of Jesus Christ. And tonight I want to ask myself, and I want to ask you, have you ever been in old Joe's shoes? Have you ever been a secret disciple? Have you ever lived in a neighborhood or worked in a place or had your kids attend a school where it wasn't just a case where perhaps somebody didn't know you were a disciple of Jesus Christ, but nobody knew that you were a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have you ever admired Jesus from afar, but you've been afraid to let the cat out of the bag that you are a sold out, bought by the blood follower, disciple of Jesus Christ? Has your courage ever failed you? Have you been someone where you followed the Lord in the shadows? For 15 chapters, the Gospel of Mark says nothing about Joseph of Arimathea. But something then happens where the story can't go on without it talking about Joseph of Arimathea. Matthew, Luke, and John would do the same. This secret disciple for fear of the Jews does something where the Holy Spirit says to these authors of Jesus' story, you can't tell the story of Jesus unless you include this ordinary Joe, who, by the way, isn't going to be ordinary for very long after this. Mark 15 and 43 put it this way. Joseph of Arimathea, in the ESV it says took courage, and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. The New American Standard says he gathered up courage. The message says, working up his courage. Joseph of Arimathea went in to see Pilate, and he asked for the body of his Lord. Number one thing tonight you need to know is this. Courage doesn't replace fear, but you better believe that it confronts it. Courage says, yes, I'm afraid, but I know I still need to do what needs to be done. Amen, church? Amen. Wasn't that long ago that one of the members of our staff there in Tulsa began to share his faith with a man who owned a restaurant right across the road from our church building, Bob Matawi. Bob is what we called him because we could not pronounce his first name. He had recently moved over from Lebanon, before that was in Saudi Arabia, and was running a, a catfish shop in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
Christian at our church, disciple of Christ, who's not afraid to share his faith, began to share his faith. Bob began to attend our, attend our church without his family. They wouldn't approve. His family back in Lebanon and Saudi Arabia, if they caught wind of what he was doing and he ever visited back home, it may be the last time he visited back home, if you know what I mean. And Bob came in and he sat down and he sat down again. And about on the third Sunday, he witnessed a baptism take place. The next Sunday, Bob came forward, sweetest man, and he said, I, Mitch, I want to know what this spiritual bathing is. <laughs> he never seen a baptism before. Pretty good description if you've never seen. What is this spiritual bath people are taking? And we began to talk about it. It wasn't too long after that that Bob came forward and he said, I want to take this spiritual bath. I believe that this Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit got a hold of him. The Word of God got a hold of him. The confession and profession of other Christians got a hold of him. The worship of the church, the love of the community. They'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. All of that had washed over him and Bob came forward and I looked at Bob and I wanted him to know what he was doing. I said, Bob, do you know what? He said, Mitch, I know what I'm doing. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what this means for me and the rest of my family. I said, Bob, just in case we don't have to put this on the World Wide Web. He says, I want it on there. And I want to tell those back home exactly what I did. And I want them to see it. We took his confession in two different languages. We took it in Farsi and Arabic and we also took it in English. First time we've ever done that. And our church in its 60 year history had someone in their native tongue from that Middle Eastern nation say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And then did it in English so he could encourage everyone who understood that. It was a powerful moment. Was he afraid? I know he was afraid, but sometimes courage isn't the absence of fear or replacing fear. It confronts fear, though, and it goes on through with the process. Hebrews 13 and 6, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? John 19 and 39, let's read the next verse. So here comes... This Joseph of Arimathea, we read the three different renditions. He gathered up, he took up, he worked up his courage. He goes in, he asks for the body of Jesus. Next verse, John 19 and 39, Nicodemus also. I, I love that. Nicodemus also. L listen to it, church. Who earlier came with no fear in the middle of the day. Is that what Scripture says? Nicodemus, who also earlier, I want to talk to you, Jesus, but I'm coming at night. I don't want to be seen. Now what does Nicodemus do? I don't think Nicodemus takes this step unless he sees his buddy, Joseph of Arimathea, who is also a member of the council, take that step. And when he sees him gather up and take up and work up his courage and go in there, Nicodemus goes, me too. Me too. I'm tired of living in the shadows. I'm tired of being a secret disciple. I can't stand this veneer anymore and it's not authentic. My behavior needs to match my belief and he too goes in. Courage is contagious. Notice that about courage. It's something that catches with others. You know, after Bob took that spiritual bath, you know what happened the next Sunday? His daughter, Kyung, showed up. And she wanted to take that spiritual bath. Three years later, right after COVID, his grandchildren showed up. They would have never taken that step without their father and their grandfather taking that step. Boy, Courage is contagious, and we need it. Notice this as well. John 19 and 38. Let's read that again. After these things, and I'm asking the question as we read this, where does this type of courage come from? Where does Joseph of Arimathea get finally to the point where he's no longer going to be a secret disciple? 
Where does he have this breaking point where he goes, I can't live like this anymore. I'm a disciple and I can't live in secret anymore and I'm stepping out. What causes that? After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate. Give you a hint, church. It's the first three words of that scripture. After these things. What would these things be? After he sits in a mock trial, a clown procession of trumped up charges, and he doesn't consent, and he sees what they're doing, and then he sees the punch, and he sees the spit, and he sees the crown of thorns, and they see him beat him silly, and they see him carry his cross. And at some point, what was on the inside of Joseph of Arimathea, seeing our Lord be crucified, says, I can't stand it anymore. That's what Scripture says. After these things, he rolls into Pilate. He goes in. Boy, how are we going to be people that focus on the cross of Christ and understand number three, that courage comes from the cross. When we contemplate, when we believe, when we engage His Word and we remember and recount and take to heart what He did for us, then courage comes as well. You know, Joseph of Arimathea had a lot of things he could have looked at. Was he wealthy? We've already talked about that. Did he have social status? We've already talked about that. Did he have a life of freedom? You bet he did. He could go wherever he wanted to. I want to see Pilate today. I want to go here today. I want to walk into the power structure of the Jewish nation. I'm a part of that. Joseph of Arimathea stood to lose all of that. And he could have looked at it. Oh, my wealth. I want to be courageous for Christ, but my my stuff. Oh, I want to stand out, but man, I may lose my seat on the council. I want to be bold for him, but man, I may end up in chains like him. But when you look at the cross, and you don't look at these other things that are around, that's when courage comes. Hebrews 12 and 3 says this, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Boy, one more time on that one. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, this evening I've talked a little bit of the things that come from Joseph's biographical sketch. We see his step out into courage, where it comes from, that it confronts fear, that it's contagious. But number two tonight, I want us to take a look at Joseph's belief system. What does he believe? Mark 15 and 43, he was a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. Looking for the kingdom of God. Joseph's belief system was, number one, was that God is and was at that time at work. Joseph believed that God was up to something. Here's what's amazing to me, and if I could really get down to the brass tacks of this. Jesus, in his undergarments, is dead on a tree. Oh, I don't... He's dead on a tree. He's dead on the cross. And it says in Scripture that Joseph of Arimathea is looking for the kingdom of God. Let me tell you. If I see a Lord that I'm following sitting on a gold throne in Rome, things are going good and it's easy to believe. If the one I'm following after has been spit upon, beat, whipped, and crucified and has died, it's hard to look for the kingdom of God. There was a period about a year and a half in my life uh, where I was in the hospital for 48 days with COVID. I got intubated once, extubated, going to live. 
36 hours later, crashed with a rare form of septic shock, got intubated again, code blue, heart stopped, 48 days. My wife, when it didn't look at all like any good could come from that, was looking for the kingdom of God, was in prayer on her knees. Either way it went. Because I'm aware there are some people in this room that you also prayed. And that situation you prayed for didn't go that way. I'm mindful of an old preacher that attended my church in the last years of his life, a guy named Marvin Phillips. Anybody ever heard that name? When Marvin would walk around our church with his oxygen tank and that nasal cannula in his nose, and I knew his days weren't long and I was praying for him, he would wink at me and he'd say, Mitch, some people get well and other people get better. That's pretty good. It's not a win-loss thing with Christians. Even when it's a loss in the world's eyes, we're looking for the kingdom of God. When it's tough, we're praying. When marriages are hard, we're praying. When finances, when the government, when our world seems like, when, who took my world and who gave me this instead and when did everybody go crazy? Y'all ever feel like that lately? When did we all lose our minds? It's for the church to look for the kingdom of God and believe like Joseph of Arimathea that God is at work. That's Joseph's belief system. He believes the Lord is up to something. Now notice this, because a lot of Christians will make this mistake. Well, if God's at work, I don't have to work. Joseph's belief system was that God is at work, and also, number two, I must work. That did not discount Joseph's need to go in there and do what he could do. May I have the body? Well, that was all cleanup job. That really didn't do anything. Hey, church... Could I throw this one at you? I don't know how else to say this. Joseph of Arimathea, maybe unknowingly, I believe unknowingly, was acting prophetically. What do you mean he was acting prophetically? How many days did the Bible say that Jesus was going to be in the grave? Three. Joseph of Arimathea's actions of asking for the body and then putting them putting Jesus in the grave, allowed Jesus to be in the grave for how many days? Three. His thought process of I must work and God must work became a team function where prophecy was fulfilled. Well, that's good for him, but what about us? Ephesians 2.10. God has prepared good works in advance for you to do. You can fulfill that tonight. You can fulfill that this week. You can bring Scripture to life by doing that which God has called you to do. He's working. Will you join Him in that work? Is that your belief? 1 Corinthians 16 and 13 says this, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men, be women of courage, be strong. How will you go forward? It's, maybe your, your courage this week is going to be forgiving somebody. There's somebody in your life, it's going to take all the courage you've got to forgive them. Maybe there's someone in your life, a neighbor, a co-worker, a family member, that you're going to share faith with. And that has been something that's been haunting you for not a year, but for a decade, that you are not the evangelist. Evangelist me? Just stepping forward and saying what Jesus has done for you. Doing what you can is a part of the process. Maybe it's going to take courage for you to serve somebody. You know, when we, Romans 12, 1, in view of God's mercy, what He has done, when we look at the cross, in view of God's mercy, it is then we have the courage to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. I don't know if we've got any history. Uh, this is where I'm going to be like my dad. My dad, when he retired from being a principal in Quitman, drove into Tyler and taught um, college history at Tyler Junior College. Because I'm going to honor him tonight by teaching a little history in Tyler. If you go ahead and bring up that picture. This is my favorite general from World War II. 
Good guess. I love Patton's great. MacArthur, Eisenhower, on and on. It's not Patton. Let me give you a little information on this gentleman. Oldest soldier to get out of a landing craft on D-Day. 63. See the cane? There's a little book about him, a cane and a pistol. When G.I.s a third his age were stepping off with grenade belts and machine guns, he stepped off with a pistol and a cane. (laughs) He said, that sounds like an uncle I've got, all right? They were a mile off course. They had to fight to get to the beach where they supposedly or were supposed to start fighting. And as a mile off course, with enemy fire raining down on him, he looked at his men and he said, boys, we start the war from here. And with a cane and a pistol, started marching across the beaches to Omaha Beach. He's fighting to get to the fighting. 63 years old. You know one of the reasons he fought so hard? They tried to talk him out of it. They said, no, 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 you don't, you don't need to go. Generals are at the back of the line. They're not at the front of the line. Plus, you're not the man you used to be. His response to that was, I've been here before. They said, what? He goes, World War I. I'm the only one in this group who's been to France before. I've done it once. Let's do it again. He landed in Africa. He landed in Sicily in World War II. They tried to talk him out of it still. You don't need to go. But there was a soldier named Quentin on his landing craft. You know what the thing about Quentin was? Is this dad was the dad of Quentin. The only father-son duo to hit Normandy that day. And here's the interesting thing about him. Well, what was his name? Teddy. Roosevelt. Junior. He was fighting for a son who was with him and fighting because he had a daddy, Theodore Roosevelt, the rough rider, who set the example. Church, we've got a dad, so to speak, who has set the example. He went to war for us. He gave his one and only son. And not only do we follow his example of courage, but we fight for those that come behind us and with us because of the example that's been set for us. And love is what bound all those things together. Teddy Jr. and Quentin are buried together. They're on the shores of Normandy. Our Lord, though, though He was buried, is alive and well in His church today and wants you to join Him in the courageous battle that we've been called to. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Almighty God, I thank You for these men and women. I'm preaching to the choir tonight, so to speak. Uh, Here they are midweek to encourage... Uh, each other, to strengthen the church, to feast on your word, and to hear a word about uh, being a risk taker and putting it all on the line for faith. Uh, Lord, may we be like, may I be like, this lesson's really for me, Lord, because at times I've been a secret disciple. I've been duplicitous. I've said one thing, and yet I haven't stepped up to the plate like I should. And Father, may we, as we consider the cross confront our fears, and may that be contagious over all the church as we believe that you are at work and we join you in that work, Father, to a result that only you can bring. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. challenging lesson, very encouraging lesson, and and we are dismissed. Please hang around and visit for a while and